Welcome to The Power of Stories, a podcast by women, about women, and for women. Their voices and their stories. I am Sharon Catherine D'Agostino, a passionate advocate for the empowerment of women and girls everywhere and the founder of SayItForward.org. And I'm Yodit Kifle-Smith, a creative dedicated to making sure the voices and stories of women are heard. I have the privilege of working with Sharon on SayItForward.org to do just that. In this podcast, you will meet courageous women from around the world whose unique path to empowerment will leave you encouraged and inspired. We are excited to have Pauline Castres on today's episode. Pauline is a disability rights activist and an artist. She's a migrant from France and now lives in London. Pauline, we want to thank you for being here. Welcome. Thanks so much. And thanks for having me. (laughs) Pauline, I add my welcome also, and I'm thrilled to be talking with you today. Pauline, how have you navigated people's perception of you when you, you know, say you have a disability? How have you navigated that? So I wasn't born disabled. So I became disabled in my early 20s. I'm I'm 32 now. So that was 12 years ago. And um, I would say that my disability wasn't visible for many years. I think now it's becoming a bit more visible, uh, but not that visible. If you see me on the street, you, you can't tell I'm disabled. So I would say that the way I was perceived was probably as a non-disabled person, even though I was navigating a world that wasn't set up for me in terms of employment, in terms of healthcare, in terms of, you know, basic needs, really. And I think that was quite scary because the very few moments when I had to tell that I was disabled to someone, most responses I got were quite negative. Um, So in the past, I've had pretty bad experiences in terms of I wasn't allowed to be honest and actually say I am disabled and it's fine. It was immediately perceived as a problem. Um, so yeah, my that's my experience. And I think you live with such shame and such guilt for a really long time until you just reach a point of thinking, what, why? What is that? So you start looking at things around you and what has really influenced that and you just realize well actually I'm going to claim that identity because it is me it is part of me it's not you know I'm not just my disability but it's it's a part of me you know you mentioned a word uh, the word shame that I think all of us experience at one point or another in our lives and I, I've realized that shame can thrive in isolation and so what was that journey like for you to fight off that shame as you started creating a space with other people uh, that had similar stories as you? There have been a series of events, I would say, that really triggered that need to actually not feel alone and feel empowered. It started after a series of bad events at work where I experienced discrimination and bullying. And I think the worst event that has happened probably was um, that I was fired because of my migraines. So that was a really traumatic event in my life. Uh, And it happened really, really quickly as well. Um, I was basically in a position where I was doing great at my job, but I started having migraines and I ended up in A&E because I lost my vision. And I was basically promised a, a raise and a promotion. So I was really looking forward to that. 
And on a Friday afternoon, I was told, well, don't come back on Monday. I couldn't believe it was discrimination at first. Um, you know, there were excuses given by, you know, trustees and others. And I just thought, can't be that. There must be something else. And I got intel years later that it was that. Um, and that just really made me realize at the moment that it, it can happen to anyone. And it is just so brutal. And it is just so justified as well. Because I know people who would justify, you know, um, ableism, which is discrimination against disabled people, by saying, well, we do it for the good of the organization. We don't really want any burden, you know, in the organization. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's really not only this event, but I've had a series of really awful experiences in the workplace that make me realize when it happens once, you'd think maybe it's me. And that really, it's a really, really vicious circle because you think, oh, that that's me. And I had migraines. And then it kept happening. And then I actually talked to other people who told me, yes, that happened to me too. And I was like, oh, so it's not just me. And I think that's just created an open door to a broader, you know, range of issues because employment is one, education is another, healthcare, and just enjoyment of life, which is a right that I think a lot of disabled people um, talk about, but that isn't really mentioned. I think it's it's probably a mixture of going from being really sad and depressed about being in that situation to be really angry to being like, well, okay, I'm sad and angry. I need to do something now. I need to actually be part of something constructive because being sad or being angry isn't going to help me long-term. I think, you know, that those are emotions that I'll find to feel, but what do I do next was my question. And that's how I really um, got into the disability community. <laughs> For many of us, there is some part of us of who we are or of something that does limit us or that we perceive that it limits us. So I am curious about how you then live this I am me. How do you live that proudly and claim it? You know, it, it's a bit of a balancing act. You know, it took me several years to call myself disabled. I just, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was really fitting the criteria, even though I was. <laughs> the moment I realized um, I belong to that community, which is actually really diverse. So there's there's no other Pauline in that community. Even people with the same disability has you know a different stories. Even when I started realizing, yes, that that's me. I can't hide it anymore. But I think it's mostly about realizing that being ashamed of who you are and feeling guilty about it isn't going to help. And it's actually not only your experience. Millions of people are experiencing the same thing. Millions of people are being told they are not enough. And uh, just realizing that disability isn't a bad word. It is part of humanity. And there will always be disability. There will always be diseases that will lead to disability. There will always be accidents body's age, disability is part of life. And I think there's still this idea that this is such a bad word. And it's also, you know, in many different, in many different spaces, if you talk to people, um, if you speak to teachers or some employers or healthcare system, I think the word disability is still an experience that needs to be erased. And when you just think, well, that's going to be that's part of my life. That's part of the lives of millions of people. So I think the moment you allow people to call themselves and create a space for them to say, it's fine, 
this identity doesn't mean that you're going to be uh, penalized, then people will come forward and will ad- adopt the identity. Pauline, you are also an artist, um, amongst all the other hats that you wear. Um, tell us how and when your love for art and activism intersected. You know, art was something I became really passionate about, I think, when I was like 15. And I absolutely love drawing. I love the art world and just discovering histories through it. And to be honest, I think I gave up a little bit on it just because my parent, my family is a very work hard. You need to earn, you know, money, build a life for yourself, be independent. Um, so I went to, I managed, there was a test, but I managed to get into one of the top schools in, in France, which is completely different from the US. It's like an Ivy League, but you basically pay the price of a public school, which made it, you know, uh, affordable for us. Um, and I went there to study political science and the art stuff was there. Like I still had, you know, uh, a notebook and I was still, you know, doodling, but I think it just went a bit to the side. And then um, when I became ill, I I mean, that just really became background. I stopped drawing just because um, I think I went into survival mode and my focus was I need to find a job. I need to stay in, you know, employed. So all my energy was really spent there. And my big dream was to move to London. I completely fell in love with the city the first time I went. So it was like, first of all, I'm not a native speaker. It's really hard to find a job. And then this Brexit, so how am I going to make this work? Um, so all my energy was spent there. But, you know, there's always like I would pick up books about art and doodle here and there. But I think a few years ago, I just started realizing that I needed that um, just to be able to express myself because I had gone many years thinking it's fine. I can just, you know, what <laughs> what a lot of women do, just think I can push through. But actually, I was neglecting a big part of me, which was, you know, being an illustrator. So I started doodling. And I think at first it was more to cheer myself up more than anything. And then it turned into, well, actually, I've, I've been a policy and advocacy advisor for so many years. And there are messages that I want to communicate that work well when they are drawn and painted. So that's how I really started thinking, OK, there are there are messages. And, you know, the policy world is um, populated with stats and text. Like most of my work is writing reports and then communicating those messages to government. But you think sometimes an image or something just sticks in the brain. It has, it's, it is so powerful. So I just thought, how can we bring that kind of artivism? So I did, I did enter a few competitions and fingers crossed uh, my, you know, illustration will be picked. Yeah. I just used the symbol of the hands and people doing like high fives and shaking hands and lovers having, you know, intertwined hands, because I think it's just such a strong symbol of connection that we haven't been able to do for more than a year so yeah I think slowly it just became obvious that the two passions in my life had to come together (laughs) I saw um, through social media 10 portraits that you did of women to challenge our views on disability what views are you challenging I think the first view I wanted to challenge is that disabled women don't exist because we are really invisible in many spaces and there is no overall knowledge about how many women are disabled so um 
I really started researching the issue and the best data I found was that 10% of women worldwide uh, have a disability. And, you know, it can vary depending on the countries and many other factors. Um, When I read that statistic, I just saw 10, it's, you know, what about 10 women who can really show what our lives are like? Because I think there are several layers. So the first layer is we don't exist or we're not visible. And then the second is once we are in the public eye, how are we perceived? And what I really wanted to show is the diversity, the sheer diversity of the community and of women. Um, So I reached out to quite a few disability activists and I actually wanted to have a really wide range of people. So, you know, some um, have really like big reputation in the disability space, some didn't. And I just wanted to bring them together and to challenge the view that disabled women are weak. I guess that's the first one. So first, we don't exist. But if we do, we are weak. And really, the the portraits were to capture the universe. So, for instance, I did paint uh, Haben Germa, who is um, well known in the community. And you know, I watched quite a few videos of her um, using her bright keyboard and talking about becoming a lawyer. And immediately I saw there is such richness there. And I saw videos of her, you know, uh, learning how to surf and do other things. And I thought it is absolutely amazing that these women are doing all of that. I captured someone, for instance, who learned to um, do paragliding in Spain with her wheelchair as well. And um some people that are portraits were also, so a portrait, for instance, an actress uh, in one of her favorite um, series. So it was really to show that we have interest, we have rich and diverse lives. We exist, yes, but also we thrive and just really show the potential that we have as women, uh, which I think isn't, you know, um, we, we don't really fulfill our full potential because of a lot of barriers, not only because we're disabled, but also because we're women. These kind of double barriers mean that uh, we often don't achieve the things we want to achieve. So I think I wanted to show a snippet of the potential that disabled women have and how varied it is. You know, I was just thinking about why Sharon and I love doing what we do here with Say It Forward, but with with the podcast, because you get to hear unique stories where women, amazing women, find their voice um, and claim their power despite the odds or despite obstacles. But, And so one of the things that we love to ask you, Pauline, um, because we've seen how you have used your voice and claimed your power, is how would you encourage other women and girls to confidently use their voice and claim their power no matter what their situation is? I would say that probably several elements. First, just to remember that your story matters. I think it's really easy to just think, what's the point? No one cares. And I think for a really long time, that's what I thought. I was like, whatever. And <laughs> um, but you have a story to tell. Everyone does. Um, then I think there's probably an element of safety. Is it safe to share your story? Maybe not. Is there a net, like um, a platform that would make it safe for you? So... I think it's not also about rushing people. If if it's not the right time, if it's not safe, then there might be a better time. There might be a better platform. Don't give up on the idea of sharing it. Just know it's there. It's not going anywhere. It's yours. 
there might be a better way later on. And if you're not ready to share it, whether you are actually or you're not, connect with other people. Just, you know, because other people will have similar stories. And if you actually get into a space, whatever space it is, you'll hear them. I find myself being at a bit of a crossroad. Like sometimes I feel like it's a disability community. Sometimes it's women uh, and gender equality. Sometimes it's being a migrant. So lots of people sometimes write to me. Like the other day, someone wrote to me asking about um, the word disabled in French and how that's being, you know, what's the equivalent and what they could use in, um, in an email. So you just think it, it's funny because if you actually share your story, you'll see that you're just more than one story. Like I would come to that conversation thinking, oh, it's just about disability. And then I was like, I actually have a story about being a migrant and about being a woman, you know, and all these things and how they intersect to just, yeah, to just shape um, a greater story, which is about you. So I would just encourage everyone, I guess, to not give up on their story because, and on telling it, uh, whether it's now or later. I love everything that you said about sharing your story, um, because of course our platform, sayitforward.org, is a safe place where every girl and every woman is welcome to share one or more of her stories, and she can share her story anonymously. So some of us have stories that we want to share. And as you've pointed out, we may not feel safe sharing them, but sharing them anonymously is an option. Exactly. And it's brilliant that you're doing that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. (laughs) You're so welcome. I don't feel like I did much. So really. (laughs) (laughs) It's wonderful. And thank you, Yodit. I echo Sharon. Thank you so much. This conversation has been so rich um, and I'm walking away just learning even more um, about this community, but also just about the power of sharing our stories. And so thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of the Power of Stories podcast. I also want to thank Lisa DeJavine. Lisa's voice is not heard in the Power of Stories podcast, but she is a very important person in this podcast because she is the editor and co-producer. So big thanks to you, Lisa. We invite you to visit sayitforward.org, a place where you are welcome to share one or more stories about your unique path to empowerment, or you can read the stories of other women and girls. This is Sharon Catherine D'Agostino and Yodit Kifle-Smith. Signing off for now and hoping you'll join us for our next episode of the Power of Stories podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, we do hope you'll give us a review and recommend the Power of Stories to a friend. And lastly, we want to remind you of the power of your story.